Good afternoon. This is David Green with the Cultural Alliance of Fairfield County and are welcoming you to the May 2023 edition of Spotlight on Arts and Culture, our monthly interview show broadcast the second Monday of each month on WPKN 89.5 FM, bringing you news and information about the arts and culture across coastal Fairfield County. Last week, Preservation Connecticut made its annual awards to seven exemplary preservation projects across the state. These included two in our area, the 1922 Shirt Factory Lofts in Norwalk, now housing four commercial units and 16 apartments by the South Norwalk train station, and the 1919 Old Mill Grocery and Deli in Westport. Now, Preservation Connecticut, formerly the Connecticut Trust for Historic Preservation, is the nonprofit set up in 1975 to preserve, protect, and promote the buildings, sites, and landscapes that contribute to the heritage and vitality of Connecticut communities. Its annual awards, in its words, quote, tell stories of rejuvenated places where we work, play, create, that provide shelter, conserve resources, and remind us of who we are and where we came from. They tell stories of places where whose rejuvenated past can contribute to a richer future, and the many ways historic places contribute to the life and vitality of Connecticut communities. Last year, two of those awardees were refurbished buildings that became homes to already dramatically impactful art spaces, the Norwalk Art Space, down by Matthews Park in Norwalk, and in Bridgeport, the Metro Art Studios. Today, we look at the journeys that these two groups took in finding the right space for their organizations, how they redeveloped the buildings they found, and what the impact has been. The Norwalk Art Space, a teaching and exhibiting space, opened in June 2021 and greeted 14,000 visitors in its first year. Metro Art Studios, working studios for 38 artists, together with an exhibition space, opened in November 2021 and saw 6,000 visitors in its first year. Not bad for a working artist studio space. Today on the program, we welcome Chris Wiegren, Deputy Director of Preservation Connecticut. The two leaders of the buildings that we've mentioned, Robin Panovka, co-founder and president of the Norwalk Art Space, and Jane Davila, executive director of Metro Art Studios. We also welcome to the studio Richard Wenning, executive director at the Bee Foundation and co-founder of Spread Music Now, that invests in music education for Connecticut's young people, helping to shape their features and build lifelong success. The Bee Foundation recently bought an historic church in Georgetown, the Granite Church, that after extensive renovation will further its devotion to music education by hosting music education events, concerts, speakers, films, 
art exhibits, community meetings, and more. Now, Richard is at the beginning of a journey that our other two guests have completed, and we thought it worthwhile to share experiences and hear about Richard's progress at Granite Church. Welcome all. So, Chris, let's start with you. Um, you are with Preservation Connecticut. Tell us a little about, about, a bit about your role at Preservation Connecticut and then something about what the organization does. Thank you, David. Um, preservation Connecticut's a, a statewide nonprofit preservation organization, and it was chartered, as you say, by the General Assembly in 1975, specifically to provide a nonprofit partner and complement to the State Historic Preservation Office, the state mm-hmm. programs for historic preservation, with the idea that sometimes private organizations can do things that government or agencies can't, and they can complement each other. Mm-hmm. Um, my role there is deputy director. I edit a newsletter. I manage a preservation easements program and the awards program. I rep- in Fairfield County, I represent the uh, the organization on the Merritt Parkway Advisory Committee. And I've recently administered a joint project with the State Preservation Office to document the history of the Olmsted Landscape Firm in Connecticut and oh. to survey landscape designs by the firm. Wow, terrific. So you're, you're an architectural historian, uh, and, you've, um, and you've been with Preservation Connecticut for, for a long time. Um, and in 2018, you published this fabulous book, uh, Connecticut Architecture, Stories of 100 Places. This is the first comprehensive illustrated history of Connecticut architecture. Can you tell us a little bit about your experience traveling around the state that led up to your writing that guide? The book really grew out of two things. One was a a need that our organization had long recognized Mm. to help people understand and appreciate the, the broad range of Connecticut's architecture. And the second was just how rich and varied that architecture is. Usually, very often, people don't get beyond colonial houses or meeting houses when <laughs> right. you mention architecture. Right. Um, but I tried to focus on, on all the different kinds of works there are and, and ways that they can help us to understand the people who created them or lived in them or even altered them over the years. And to include not just buildings, but broader things such as landscape design or town planning and engineering that also create the environment in which we live. What's, what was some, some of the range of buildings, maybe in terms of dates, the earliest and the most recent? Um, the earliest one in the, in the book was um, a site that the Mohegan tribe maintains mm. that has been shaped both by physical work, but also by sort of understandings and, and reading meanings into the landscape since before Europeans arrived, mm-hmm. and has continued to be, uh, you know, the site of a church that, that tribal members were organized and belonged to. And the most recent was um, one of them, I think, was a building for the School of Environment and Forestry at Yale, which was opened in 2008 as a, an example of sustainability and construction and operation of a building. Um, I wonder, can we tackle this word preservation? I mean, <laughs> many people uh, it might suggest like pickling jars and keeping things 
as the way that they are. But that's not what preservation is really about, correct? Well, in a way, I mean, the, the point of a pickle is not to have <laughs> vegetables sitting on a shelf. It's right. to have vegetables that are available for you to eat. And the point oh, actually, that's a very, very good point. Yes, <laughs> is is to have buildings and neighborhoods and and to maintain them, keep them from rotting, and so that we can use them um, because we think they're valuable, perhaps for their associations for their design and architecture, or simply for their usefulness. And that, that's the point, is, is to have them there for communities and landscapes, to, for communities to continue to use them. Um, some cases that might mean a museum, but more often it's more ordinary uses, places to live or work or relax. And, and just as pickling can change the makeup of the vegetables while keeping some other characteristics of them, <laughs> sometimes preservation work involves adaptation and modification to meet new uses. I didn't realize that I'd really hit on a good metaphor there. But, <laughs> um, it was great, yeah. Um, but just picking up the title on your, of your book, Stories of a Hundred Places, um, mm -hmm. it's also, I presume, about keeping the stories continue con uh, continuing i mean all buildings that's right. That's right. have they, long stories they, that's right they they as i you know i said something earlier about you know they can they can sort of help us to gain insights to tell stories of the people who created them who lived in them and and you can see things in some of these works of architecture these buildings that aren't written down in records or books or things mm -hmm. that, that you gather yeah. you really pick up the stories just from looking at the building. Mm. So um, back to the awards, the annual awards, what's your process for selecting the buildings that receive those annual awards? Uh, we solicit nominations from our members, members of the public, and uh, staff and board members review them and make selections. We don't really have set categories. Uh, we're just looking for things that are good, that are you know, possibly inventive ways of approaching, preserving, and reusing buildings that um, mm. we may not even have thought about, and not necessarily even buildings as well. Um, there's certainly an educational component this, to this as well. It's a way of spreading ideas spreading news. So we're, right. we're looking for things that, you know, might be examples or inspiration for other people. I like that word inventive. Um, can you think of um, examples of any p particular, um, any particularly inventive uses uh, recently? Well, one of our, one of our examples, this, one of our award recipients this year was the Hotel Marcel in New Haven, which is a building that was originally built as headquarters for a company that made rubber tires. Uh -huh. and it's been sitting vacant for many years, and it's been converted to a hotel, but not just any hotel. It, it's the first net zero hotel uh, in the United States. Wow. A, you know, <laughs> high level of sustainability, again, in, in the renovation, the kind of materials they used, uh, but also, you know, just trying to look at an existing historic building that was built in an age of cheap oil mm -hmm. and ah. look thinking about how <laughs> to make it operate on this high, high level of efficiency while still con remaining the work of a major master modern architect, in this case, Marcel Breuer. So that it took a lot of inventiveness to do that. Mm. And sort of making a point 
at, um, at the same time. I mean, taking a and, tire building and making it zero. Um, yeah, zero. Making, yeah, making the point that, you know, there, there's a lot of people say that old buildings aren't sustainable, and this is clearly uh, disproving that point in, in a very dramatic way. Now, about these two buildings that we're focusing on today, um, did you know anything about the buildings before they were nominated, the Norwalk Art Space and Metro Art Studios? I'll have to confess that I didn't. I didn't uh-huh. know them at all. Um, but the Metro Art Studio you know, um, building was a, was a corset factory built in 1909, and a lot like a lot of Connecticut factories in general, big um, kind of designed to be flexible spaces to accommodate mm-hmm. machinery and processes and perhaps to change from one product to another relatively easy. They're, they're uh-huh. big open uh-huh. spaces mm-hmm. on stacked in different levels. Um, and the art space building was a Christian science church um, built in 1935, handsome colonial revival building that had um, closed as a church and was being used as a rug store. Right. So, um, and, you know, both of those industrial buildings and, frankly, church buildings are, are the kind of structures that are undergoing changes. That, that Connecticut industry has declined organized mainstream religion seems to be on the decline, and these are buildings that uh, need to find new uses in order to continue to serve their communities. But your answer also um, exemplifies the importance of nominations. You didn't know about these buildings until the nominations came in. So I know we've just missed (laughs) this most recent Mm -hmm. um, awards, but um, when will the nominations be... Um, due for the next round, uh, next uh, next winter? The next winter, yes. We usually um, open them up in, sometime in December, and nominations usually do around the first, of, first right. part of February. So an open call to people who appreciate buildings to keep your eyes out for buildings that are being renovated um, and uh, to make sure you nominate them for, for one of these awards. Yes, indeed. Uh, Thank you, Chris. If you're just joining us, this is David Green with the Cultural Alliance of Fairfield County and the May 2023 edition of Spotlight on Arts and Culture, our monthly interview show on WPKN 89.5 FM. Our program today, The Arts and Preservation, looks at how two arts organizations, one newly created and one in, in existence for a while, set about finding historic buildings for their organization's future, how they went about redeveloping those buildings, and what the impact of these new sites has been on their organizations and the community. We also look at a building, the Granite Church in Georgetown, now under redevelopment as an art space by the Bee Foundation. Our guests today are on the phone Chris Wiegren, Deputy Director of Preservation Connecticut, and Robin Panovka, co-founder and president of the Norwalk Art Space, and in the studio, Jane Davila, executive director of Metro Art Studios in Bridgeport, and Richard Wenning, executive director at the Bee Foundation and co-founder of Spread Music Now. I'd like to turn to Robin now. Robin Panovka, husband of the founder of the Norwalk Art Space, Alexandra Corey, and now president of the space. Robin, you're a leading real estate mergers and acquisitions lawyer with a 
New York law firm Wachtell, Lipton, Rosen and Katz. And I gather you were heavily involved with the redevelopment of the World Trade Center after 9-11. So buildings and real estate are certainly in your wheelhouse. Is that right? Yes. And uh, thank you for having me on the show, David. And uh, Chris, thanks for the uh, preservation award. So I would say the, the World Trade Center was easy compared to <laughs> the uh, no, Norwalk Art Space uh, project. Uh, I'm being somewhat facetious, but this was different. This was a personal yes. project of my wife, and uh, so there was a lot of uh, passion and personal interest in in doing it. It wasn't just a, another commercial project. So took a lot more attention to detail my wife was a perfectionist who uh, was completely uncompromising on quality and I was was forced to adopt her uh, her outlook so this was a very uh, complicated uh, challenging project from that uh, perspective uh, and uh, I think the results show the uh, the attention to detail and passion she brought to it so tell us a little about Alexandra and the vision that she had for the space. Sure. So uh, Alexandra, in her day job, uh, was also an M&A lawyer. Uh, she was a uh, senior partner at uh, Sullivan and Cromwell, a major Wall Street firm, one of the top women on Wall Street for many years. She uh, was one of these people who was a, a force of nature. People often mm. said high energy, uh, real trailblazer who looked to open doors for women and uh, underrepresented people on Wall Street and in the legal profession. And in addition to her day job, uh, she did a lot of civil rights work. She was on the New York Civil Rights Commission. She helped end solitary confinement for youth in New York. Um, did uh, a lot of educational work, taught at Columbia Law School, but also chaired an after-school program in Harlem called Heath. Mm-hmm. and was very interested in uh, the uh, educational gap that she perceived uh, as well as wanting to elevate women uh, and underrepresented people uh, in, in the arts. Um, so the basic idea she had kind of comparing Westport, Connecticut's art community, art education to that of Norwalk uh, was to, to try to close that gap a little bit by coming up with uh, a space that would serve two functions and hopefully serve as a bit of a, a virtuous circle. So right. the basic concept was uh, give underrepresented artists free studios and exhibition space and then ask those artists to teach the Norwalk kids art for free uh, and we've added music to that uh, and the building kind of uh, serves that purpose very well the the top floor if you imagine a typical uh, church with a beautiful sanctuary beautiful windows etc that serves essentially as a gallery uh, somewhat of a museum and downstairs where there was a social hall and some small classrooms and storage areas. Uh, that's the kind of school area with uh, a nice large classroom and then four separate studios. Right. So, um, well, one point, just to clarify, the, both of you work in 
worked in New York, but uh, you live in Westport. Yes. Yeah. Um, so tell us a little bit about the search for the building. Uh, did Alexandra have something in mind? Um, what was it about this building that just rang true, that this was the place? Yeah, so she initially uh, was was planning to do this in a different spot, uh, a different property that we have, huh. uh, where she was going to build a building from scratch. Uh-huh. Uh, and she hired uh, Westwood architect Rick Hoag uh-huh. to design the building. And uh, they were kind of in the early stages of design. And uh, it's just about half a mile down the road, quarter mile uh, across uh, the I-95 on West Avenue. Um, but then uh, Alexander became sick, and we wanted to uh, accelerate the project. And it looked like you know building a building from scratch and designing it was going to take yeah. uh, a good number yeah. of years. And uh, somewhat randomly and luckily, uh, <laughs> this church came on the market. Uh, as was mentioned earlier, it had been a Persian rug store, uh, and nobody buys Persian rugs anymore, it turns out, and so they needed to sell. The roof was leaking, the place was in disrepair, uh, there were rugs piled up literally oh. about 10, 15 feet up into wow. the air because nobody was buying them, and rain falling on them. So uh, it was for sale, and uh, it immediately caught Alexandra's eye, uh, one, because of the bones of the building, which lend themselves quite well to mm-hmm. the use. The, the pickle analogy earlier was very apt for this building. <laughs> okay. um, and uh, so the, the bones were good, even though the building was in disrepair. Um, and also the location uh, was very interesting because it's right next to, as you mentioned earlier, David Matthews Park, which has three museums in it right. already. So it kind of evoked a you know museum mile, museum park kind mm-hmm. of idea. Uh, it's on a busy street with a bus stop so kids can get there. It's almost the perfect location, uh, frankly, better than the original location. And so uh, Alexandra jumped and uh, quickly bought the building. Uh, Rick Hogue, the architect, was initially opposed to it. Uh, <laughs> one, because he probably loved his original design. Right. <laughs> but, uh, to, uh, he found the basement danky, and then he saw the rain coming in and just thought it was dark and mm. uh, not as nice as his beautiful new design, which you know was <laughs> modern and sleek. Um, but he came around, and uh, I think it's, it's much better, uh, no offense to Rick, than the, <laughs> the original <laughs> right. new building design. And they really worked it out together. I, I gather that Alexandra and Rick uh, had quite a... Yes. Intense relation, uh, working Rick relationship. Is, yeah, yeah, very good. I'm, I'm not sure it was always good because I would hear them getting very annoyed with each other when they argued about particular shades of white and green <laughs> right. uh, and whether to paint the brick or to leave it exposed. So they would argue about everything. <laughs> yes. um, and it was, it was a very good collaboration and uh, I think came out well. Uh, so um, we don't have too much time, but... How would you describe the impact of the space? And now it's been open almost two years. Um, it's really evolved and had a big impact. Um, yeah, frankly, it's it's surprised me how big an impact it's had. Uh, you know, I was initially somewhat 
dubious about the concept. And David, when I first met you while it was under construction, I remember asking you whether this was really necessary out there. <laughs> Uh, and you assured me it was, and I kept going. Uh, but it's it's worked incredibly well. I was just looking at uh, the statistics. We've had now 23,000 visitors come in. A thousand students have been served. We've had 21 semester-long classes, 10 artist talks, which you kindly chair for us, David. Uh, 13 workshops, 23 art exhibitions, wow. uh, yeah. and we've had 17 uh, artists working in the space and teaching in the space. Um, you know, an interesting thing that your, your question evoked for me was how, how important is the building and the preservation of the building to fulfilling the mission? And I think it's really important. I think you've got a really beautiful space that uh, is really inspiring and uh, people enjoy being in. And I think if you'd taken the same concept, as good as the concept is and as good as our staff is, if you take in the same concept and put it in some boring building uh, kind of out of the way, I don't know that this would have worked. Uh, so, you know, buildings and architecture and inspiring spaces are, are, I think, very important. Right. And the stories that come along with them, I think, too. Um, very quickly, any advice you would have for other arts and cultural organizations thinking about such a route? So a few a few things come to mind. One, uh, you know, make sure you've got the resources and patience for the budget doubling and the timeline <laughs> doubling. Uh, that, that's pretty much what you should expect. Uh, but also I would say very important if you're going to do something like this uh, is not to worry too much about the rules and what's been done before. Um, hmm. You know, I remember asking Alexandra... Uh, particularly as she was getting sick and uh, getting close to the end, and I knew I was going to have to finish this. I said, give me a plan. I need a business model. Mm -hmm. I need to know what, what, this, what this looks like. And her response to all of those kinds of questions was always, you know what, we'll figure it out. Uh, it'd be kind of boring if we just followed something else. It's, it's no fun. Let's, mm -hmm. let's make it up as we go. Mm. Uh, and that's what we did. And uh, my guests here you know, in the studio are nodding <laughs> to that. Yeah, nodding um, affirmatively. Yes, or affirmatively. Right. Yes. <laughs> Especially with these very complex, <laughs> complex um, programs. Yeah, we could never have come up with a plan. And in fact, the first year of operation, we were just kind of throwing spaghetti at the wall and seeing what, <laughs> what stuck. Right. Uh, somewhat gratifyingly. Uh, the basic concept Alexandra had uh, worked, and that's really what we've ended up with. We tried a bunch of other stuff, uh, and the very simple idea of give free exhibition space and ask the people right. who exhibit to teach for free uh, actually works. It's a, it's a good concept. And with the Corey Fellows as well, you have a really nice little uh, ecosystem, if you like, um, that really seems to work. I mean, it's, it seems that there's a, a very strong core concept and that, that you've built around that, I mean, adding um, to it um, in, a, in a very organic way. Yeah. Um, you know, Alexandra and I learned from Heath, the Harlem Educational Activities Fund, uh, about the importance of making these things 
multi-generational and self-sustaining, the, the so-called multiplier right. effect. So we right. ask the fellows who are typically older artists mm -hmm. to mentor the younger artists who are residents, and then we ask the residents who are given studio space to mentor and teach the students. And then each year we get new fellows and new resident artists, uh, and we ask the new class to mentor and take care of the younger class. We're actually going to have our, our first dinner. Uh, we're going to basically have an annual family dinner for all classes. Oh, fantastic. Uh, <laughs> the artists. Yeah. And basically challenge them yeah. uh, to make the multiplier effect work mm -hmm. and support each other and create a real ecosystem that uh, is self-sustaining. I just wanted to bring Chris in uh, briefly. Bri Chris, can you talk about your own impression of the of the renovation uh, what most struck you about seeing the the building in its uh, when it was finished? Well, you know the 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 beauty of the space, the light, and and you know this is an arts studio, so arts organization. So the artistry of the of its setting yes. can be important. Um, and you know, in the nomination that we got, just all the happy faces of people <laughs> full of full of activity and mm -hmm. and smiles and people who you know seem clearly to be from a variety of different backgrounds um, really finding finding life and, and an inspiration in that place thank you mm -hmm. if you're just joining us this is david green with the cultural alliance of fairfield county and our may 2023 edition of spotlight on arts and culture a monthly interview show on WPKN 89.5 FM. Our program today, The Arts and Preservation, looks at how two arts organizations set about finding historic buildings for their organization's future, how they went about redeveloping those buildings, and what the impact of these new sites has been. We also look at a building, the Granite Church in Georgetown, now under redevelopment as an art space by the Bee Foundation. Our guests today are on the phone, Chris Wiegren, Deputy Director of Preservation Connecticut, and Robin Panovka, Founder and President of the Norwalk Art Space. And in the studio, Jane Davila, Executive Director of Metro Art Studios in Bridgeport, and Richard Wenning, Executive Director at the Bee Foundation and co-founder of Spread Music Now. So turning to Jane, uh, your story is quite a bit different and perhaps slightly rougher an experience than with the Norwalk Art Space. Um, first, you weren't starting something new. You were looking for a, a new home for an existing artist space. Um, is that right? Yeah, so we, we were a, a fairly tight-knit community of artists mm. um, and we were trying to find a space to relocate to. Yeah. Um, and it was a long journey to find that space. Um, and we're actually thrilled with what we ended up with. So um, let me go back a bit. And I'm interested in your own experience as an artist looking for artist studio space in Connecticut and how you landed in Bridgeport. Um, my husband and I lived in Ridgefield for nearly 30 years. And um, when our daughter graduated from school and, and moved out on her own, 
we were looking at um, kind of downsizing and being able to concentrate more on work and less on lawn care and (laughs) (laughs) tedious things like that. And um, next to the Granite Church in Georgetown, there is a wire mill. And we had had our eyes on that, (laughs) had met the previous developers of that space, um, had intended to sell our house in Ridgefield and buy one of the artist lofts that was going to be um, developed there. And then 2008 (laughs) crash happened and that project fell apart. Mm. And um, we ended up selling the house a couple of years later and um, and then eventually started looking for space, um, studio space. We looked everywhere. We looked in Stamford and Norwalk and Danbury. There was nothing in Danbury at the time. And, um, and then found ourselves in Bridgeport looking, um, still commuting from Ridgefield for the first two years. Mm. Um, we had looked at all of the studio buildings in Bridgeport and, and eventually found a studio um, and then the commute, the hour in each direction commute wore on us <laughs> and we ended up moving down to Bridgeport. Right. Um, yeah, so it, it was, it was a bit of a, a journey. It wasn't something we anticipated, but now feel like extremely committed to. And how did your journey to look for the new building get started? So the, the building that, um, the artist occupied was, um, uh, there, the artists were actually being evicted um, mm. from the space and we needed to find another space. And we all knew that we wanted to stay together. Mm. And we, um, you know, we, it was a community building process where we'd spent a lot of time, you know, kind of creating this tight knit community and we all supported each other and, and collaborated. How, how many artists were there roughly? Um, in the end, about... A little over two dozen of us, about mm-hmm. two dozen of us ended up moving yeah. over to the new building. And, um, you know, we knew that we wanted to to be together and we wanted a space where we could create and continue to exist without um, without fear of being displaced. And that's hard because when you um, I think that's a traditional the, the trajectory of artists' communities in general is right. that, you know, you move into blighted areas, into older buildings, and um, you get displaced once it becomes, uh, once the, the owners of the building realize that it has potential <laughs> and that other people start to see it as cool instead of scary. Mm-hmm. And um, so we really wanted to find a space that gave us stability and longevity. Hmm. And you saw... Pretty many in your journey. So many buildings. Um, so I had started out by contacting a real estate broker and um, became very familiar with um, LoopNet, which is a commercial hmm. real estate um, platform, I guess, and um, would look at that literally every single day to see if there was anything that was coming up. And And the group itself, we had decided together that we wanted to stay in Bridgeport. And there weren't a lot of buildings and, you know, we had really specific requirements. We wanted a larger space than we were currently occupying because we wanted to expand the community. Um, artist studio buildings have very specific needs, which include windows, right. <laughs> um, large windows or space for large window windows, um, high ceilings. Um, it needed to have at least the potential for, um, aesthetic beauty, um, even if it didn't have it in in the moment. Mm -hmm. Like, I think that's one thing that artists are really good at is transforming or being able to visualize something in a raw state Mm. and have it be something that can be beautiful in the end. So 
we weren't scared by garbage and raccoon poop and broken windows and things like that. But we needed to know that the bones were there and Mm -hmm. that it would be a building that that would have the potential to be what we wanted it to be. And how did you know the place that you found, the corset factory (laughs) was I knew the second I walked into that building, the very first time. um, It's big, right? It's big. It's It's 34,185 square feet. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) And it's three stories high. Um, We had looked at a lot of buildings. There was a group of us um, that were going around and looking at the buildings. And um, we had, I had contacted the city to see if there were any buildings that they owned. And there were a couple, but they all needed a million dollars of asbestos abatement, and yeah. nobody, nobody had an extra million dollars lying around. And um, I talked to other real estate agents, and the the building that we ended up at, um, the Crown Corset Factory, which is what it's known as, um, I walked in the back door. It was a giant old rusty roll-up door, and it was pitch dark because the bo- windows were boarded up. The windows had been boarded up for 40 years. Wow. And it had no inter- almost no interior walls. And just looking at the bones of that, looking mm-hmm. at the bones of the outside of it. Your a, imagination got to work. Yeah, I, right? I could picture it exactly the way it is now uh-huh. and exactly the dimensions and the proportions of what everything mm-hmm. needed to be in order for us to be there. Yeah, and my, my process was actually that every building we went to look at, I would come back to my computer and my studio and I would do a conceptual drawing of how we could fit. How many studios could we fit? How um, how lovely would the stu- could the studios be? You know, in terms of the the shape and the space and the sizes. And having you know, this is now the fourth studio building that I've occupied, and having a lot of experience with what works and what doesn't work, yeah. where the pain points are. Um, you know, what sizes are more rentable than other sizes. It gives you a really clear idea. If you, for example, if you were to look at a building that was a giant square, what do you do with the center of the square? That you don't have access to windows mm-hmm. from the center of the square. Mm-hmm. So it could be a gallery space, it could be musician studios or recording space, but the the ideal space is long and narrow, and that it gives you a lot of space to create studios that have beautiful windows. And this is exactly what ours is. And who are your partners? Who are your key partners in this? <laughs> so the owners of the building um, are two gentlemen from New York, um, Michael Villani and Douglas Hartman. So they they already owned it. When they own the building. It. Yeah, they okay. bought the building six years ago, oh. and they bought the building with the intention of it being artist studios. Oh. And that wasn't something that they knew how to do. Um, and we needed a space. <laughs> so perfect so, partnership. Yeah, it really. was very serendipitous. And <laughs> Douglas himself is an artist. And so they have a studio in the building uh-huh. and Douglas creates his art. And uh-huh. um, that works out really well for everyone um, because he's now part of this great right. community of <laughs> right. artists and has a really gorgeous, as the owners, they get to pick a beautiful <laughs> space. Um, so that worked out really, really well. And they are very um, familiar with restoration renovation because they own a historic brownstone in Harlem and restored it. So mm-hmm. we did a renovation. They did a restoration. So their passion is actually restoration. They collect antique furniture. Um, they're very um, involved in um, mm. preservation and historic, all the things. Um, Any other partners you want to shout out? Give a shout out to people who really helped 
the artists themselves yes. actually. Yeah. So a lot of sweat equity. There in was this, so right? much sweat equity. We we were doing a grant application for our nonprofit and we had to estimate the hours of the sweat equity hours that we'd put into the building. And our total was over 14,000 hours oh my gosh. Um, over the course of about a year or so. Um, and that was mostly so that we could keep costs down and open as quickly as possible. Right. What about finance? How did you finance the... Um, we did some fundraising. The artists contributed funds as well. Um, but the vast majority of it was Michael and Douglas. Mm. And, um, and we are eternally grateful for their right. faith in the project and the faith in all of us and their continuing enthusiasm for, for everything that we're doing and building. And we really see it as something that we're all doing together. It's not a the us and them situation. And for you, advice for other arts organizations who might set upon such a journey? Um, be prepared to get your hands dirty. Right. <laughs> um, I, you know, I have to say, like, in the uh, you said about a partner before, so I would say with the city, I don't think they had a huge amount of faith that we could pull it off. Hmm. And there was a lot of skepticism. Um, I wouldn't say that they weren't helpful, but they didn't quite have the same faith that we had. Mm. Um, Max Perez, who works in the Office of Planning Development, is um, a buddy now and, and a massive advocate for what we've done, but had a little skepticism in the beginning. <laughs> so I would say nurturing every possible relationship that you could make with the, mm. the especially town officials, city officials, because they were so helpful. We did the project management ourselves. We didn't have a GC, a general contractor. And so being able to go to the city and or text or email or whatever and ask questions um, from a place of not knowing and having these people be able to mentor us through the process was unbelievably helpful. Yeah, that's great. Um, and Chris, I want to pull you in very briefly just to get your sense of this building once you once you saw it. Um, yes, it, it's, it's a different kind of beautiful space. It, it's sort of <laughs> that, that rough, the, the, the light, and, and it was interesting to see sort of different ways that different artists have made their, their studios them, their own. Um, and and even one artist to the point of because this was a corset factory there there are straight pins stuck in the cracks in the floor or whatever and and one artist who sort of took them as an inspiration and began using other elements of the of the corset making in creating artworks so that just to see how it could inspire inspire that and reinforce other other redevelopment mm. efforts in the neighborhood as well. Thank you. Now, finally, to Richard. <laughs> um, first, tell us about yourself, Richard, the Bee Foundation and Spread Music Now. What's the context of this uh, development? Well, well, thanks, David. And uh, I, I also want to thank the my other guests tonight because I just got a, a symposium on <laughs> the road ahead and uh, I'm, I'm enormously grateful for that actually. Sure. Um, the Bee Foundation is a Connecticut-based family foundation and uh, we invest in collective efforts with that require municipalities and nonprofits and businesses to collaborate to bring about an outcome that supports Connecticut's young people and the communities in which they live. 
Um, and we've worked, uh, actually we've done a little bit more grant making in the arts than overall in pure education, but it's always been at this intersection of education right. and the arts. Right. And, uh, so doing things that are multi-generational and give young people opportunities that lead to, um, the next step for them, um, right. is important to us and, uh, creating those linkages. Um, and in this case, we're focusing on a community in which we live, uh, in, in, in Redding, Connecticut, um, which is a bit of a switch for us <laughs> for to talking about it more. Tell us, um, so how, how did your interest in the Granite Church happen? Um, were you looking for a building at the time or did it beckon yeah, I, 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 I guess it beckoned. Um, is, is there was serendipity in this and and timing? Um, we had finished some years of work um, in a number of other cities in, in Connecticut, and uh, we were gearing up to make some changes in our grant making. And uh, I learned that the Granite Church was going to auction, and wow. uh, I'm, I'm involved with the town as well, <laughs> yeah. and. Uh, uh, a number of committees and uh, folks had mentioned the Gilbert and Bennett wire mill earlier. Um, in fact, I, I'm, I'm wondering if we had met before. <laughs> Someone else told me a very similar story about that. And uh, so I'm also involved with the committee working on the Gilbert and Bennett wire mill in could you, Reading. Could yes. you just say a little bit about that? I mean, I know it. I um, yeah. wonder if everybody else knows it. It's a very, very impressive Building, um, multiple buildings, uh, about a fifty-acre campus, a brownfield, uh, and the story of the Granite Church is the story also of the mm. Gilbert and Bennett Wire Mill, which is really the industrial section, um, uh, uh, the seat of manufacturing uh, in Connecticut and in Reading, uh, Connecticut, uh, right there at the intersection of Weston, Wilton, Ridgefield, uh, and, and Reading, um, and uh, uh, this factory was founded in eighteen eighteen. And didn't close until 1998. Wow! So generations yeah. of people yeah. up in Georgetown and lots of yeah. lots of immigration. Uh, but that uh, that site, which was a wire mill, ultimately uh, it began with creating mesh nets and so forth. The founders of that uh, the, the wire mill, um, their son and daughter. Uh, were the founders of the Gilbert Memorial Church that we purchased, right. uh, and uh, so when that went up for auction, it's the, this issue of location and place matter mm. a great deal here. And that yeah. church had been closed in 2015, so it had begun to decline and had a lot of water infiltration. And we happened to go to an open house about a year earlier became aware of it. It's a prominent building in the middle of our town, a gateway to our town, next to this important brownfield, which the town of Reading just gained title of in 2021. After the bankruptcy in 2008, this was tied up in the courts for years. Oh. So we have a bit of a renaissance <laughs> happening in Reading right now and a wonderful opportunity to uh, redevelop uh, and reunify right. uh, that community, um, which... Uh, uh, was divided by a state road going right through it in the 50s. Right. Um, so that's how we got to the church. It was a, a place that beckoned to us, a perfect place for adaptive reuse and a building that's on the National um, Historic Register and is just inspiring and uh, made of granite that was mined right next door. Uh, right. So good right. bones again um, of this beautiful old granite uh, structure. Um, so you have partners. Um, is it, it's the B Foundation working with others, or is it mostly the B Foundation's vision? 
moving well, forward. Well, right now, so we're, we're opportunists. So as I'm hearing stories about the artists, we, we also think that, that our approach to what happens in the church and how it's built out is got to be a community endeavor. And so we've right. begun uh, inviting input in from artists and others to give us advice about how they'd like to see the building redeveloped. But we know the first work <coughs> is a preservation effort and a mm-hmm. restoration. So the historic rehabilitation of the Granite Church will be largely a uh, restoration of what was and modernizing the interior for its use as a multifunctional space uh, for performing arts. Um, also has a lower level of which could be artist spaces or could be offices to rent. Or you know, we'll, we'll be looking at that. But as far as partners, uh, we are looking to partner with the State Historic Preservation Office. Mm-hmm. Uh, David, you were kind mm-hmm. enough to organize a visit um, and we got to meet some key folks uh, in this field, uh, which is new to us as uh, you know, education investors and, and, yeah. and foundation folks, um, we're, we're really learning, you know, from all the experts around. So we're going to be looking to the, this, you know, to Shippo and, uh, looking forward to a process with them. We've applied for a good to great grant, which we'll see about that. that. We'll hear that yes. about that in June. Yeah. Uh, but we do intend, uh, we're hopeful to raise about, um, half public funding, against the foundation's resources mm-hmm. and what uh, we imagine is going to be a two to $3 million um, undertaking uh, to uh, get the building really in the, in the shape it deserves for its next, next century. But you mentioned the community too. It sounds as if you're very, very strongly connected to the community of, now, is it Georgetown inside Reading or is it Reading or yeah, it's, <laughs> uh, it's a good question. Um, so this part of Georgetown is inside of Reading, okay. but parts of Georgetown are also in Wilton, okay. in Ridgefield, and Weston. Right. And it so th- really is a crossroads of uh-huh. those yeah. communities in, in Georgetown, Connecticut. Uh, but the church itself is, it, it's, it's real estate is in Reading. And, uh, but we're looking to those to communities that surround us uh, to create what we think will be a wonderful community gathering space multi-purpose, um, uh, performing arts. Uh, we're hoping to have a big dance floor in the middle. We, we don't have anything of that size in that location, right at that crossroads. And we want to be complementary to the other venues. So we're not right. looking to compete with the Ridgefield Playhouse, which has a different yeah. model. Yeah. Um, and we're really looking to, uh, to our, this immense number of artists that live locally yes. uh, to help us think about how we want to program. The key thing we know, though, multi-generational without a doubt, you've got to make in this idea of how do we make a self-sustaining place that attracts um, individuals that want to program with us. Um, as we create a space hopefully worthy of their efforts. Right. I'm just actually reminded of we were talking about the core concept of the Norwalk art space. So it's a pretty simple one in terms of the levels of people. And it sounds as if you are now developing this core concept um, in which collaboration seems to be a key component. Indeed. And I just took, I took notes about the strategy of the, of the free <laughs> art space and teachers to, you know, educating uh, that, that, but that kind of model exactly. And I do love the Norwalk art space. I've had a chance to yeah, uh, it's uh, very, visit it's as very, well. And uh, we may be a little bit more oriented towards music and performing arts, uh, but the ideas are parallel and uh, it's wonderful to know that others are out there to, to right. lend advice. Uh, so where are you on your journey? What's your sort of timeline for getting to where you want to be? Uh, if we were to get the Good to Great grant, then we would have a ribbon cutting by June 2024. 
My goodness. And um, I'm still yeah. looking at that date. Uh, uh-huh. I, I'm, I have a feeling if all goes on well, we'll have our architect selected this summer. Uh, we're applying for SHPO grants, the planning and survey grants. Um, I expect the building may close in November for over a year for uh, you know, for the, for the construction phase uh, before right. being able to reopen to the public. We need a furnace. We need water. Um, there's going to be roof work. Uh, but the interior main hall is in, still in beautiful condition. Yes. And that pipe organ, we're looking forward to uh, right. revitalizing and getting back online as well. Well, I can vouch for the, for the beauty and the power of that space, having visited it. Thank you very much for, for hosting us. Um, Chris, again, I'd like to bring you in. Um, do you know the Granite Church? Have you visited it? Have you seen it? I've, I've never been inside it. I, I have been in around uh, Georgetown, and um, I'm just, you know, sort of impressed by the the combination of, of being inspired by what other organizations have done, like Norwalk and Bridgeport, but also looking at this particular place and seeing what it can be, because that's the thing about historic places is each one's different. Uh, it's in a different community. It's got different characteristics. And it's sort of like the architect Louis Kahn used to say, you know, what does a brick want to be? What does this building want to be to a certain degree? Huh. Yeah. Um, huh. and, and You're thinking of that observing, probably, Rich. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And just observing the, the opportunities that are available in the resources in the community and also the opportunities that come from National Register designation that can be very helpful. Hmm. And and the opportunities for, for synergy, maybe that this can reinforce efforts to, to redevelop some of the other parts of the, the mills there in Georgetown. Right. That's, uh, that's really uh, very important. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you all very much. Um, the hour has zoomed by. Um, we're very happy that we have two thriving art spaces and excitingly renovated historic buildings. And I urge everyone to go visit the Norwalk Art Space. It's open Wednesdays through Sundays, 9 to 3. Uh, we haven't mentioned the Gourmet Cafe. That is another inducement to visit. And Metro Art Studios. Um, check out the open studios and exhibition openings. Um, it is a working space, so it's not open as much as the Norwalk Art Space, but uh, you have an exhibition opening coming up, Jane? Uh, May 21st, Sunday, 1 to 4. And we at the Cultural Alliance have joined with uh, Metro Art Studios in a series of monthly artist work lab um, professional development events. The next one there is June 7th on working with interior designers. Um, I wish you all the best of luck. Um, um, Richard, in your ambitious project. I hope everything goes as well as it possibly can. Thank you, David. This is David Green with the Cultural Alliance of Fairfield County, and our, you've been listening to our May 2023 edition of Spotlight on Arts and Culture, our monthly interview show on WPKN 89.5 FM. Our program today, the Arts and Preservation, looked at how two arts organizations set about finding historic buildings for their organization's future how they went about redeveloping those buildings and what the impact of these new sites has been. We also are looking at a new building, the Gra- looking at the Granite Church in Georgetown, now under redevelopment as an art space by the Bee Foundation. Our guests today were Chris Wiegren, Deputy Director of Preservation Connecticut, Robin Panovka, co-founder and president of the Norwalk Art Space, Jane Davila, 
Support for WPKM comes from the Klein in Bridgeport, presenting the New Haven Symphony with the concert Aretha, a tribute, on Thursday, June 1st. Celebrating the music of Aretha Franklin, James Brown, Stevie Wonder, and more. Conductor Chelsea Tipton leads the 38-piece orchestra along with guest artists Capathia Jenkins and Ryan Shaw. Tickets and more info on Aretha Attribute at thekline.org or via the Klein box office. Support comes from the Aldrich Contemporary Art Museum. Located in Ridgefield, there are currently several exhibitions running, including a solo show from Afghan-Canadian artist Hangama Amiri, an homage to home. She fled Kabul with her family in 1996 at the age of seven. Her show runs through June 11th. Another show is Prima Materia, the periodic table in contemporary art. This group show links individual works with an element of the periodic table. The show runs through August 27th. More info at thealdrich.org. This is FC Buzz on WPKN Radio. A brief look at what's happening around Fairfield County. This is David Green with the Cultural Alliance of Fairfield County and our weekly selection from FC Buzz Events the best guide to arts and culture in coastal Fairfield County. Find it at culturalalliancefc.org. Monday through June the 5th, 9am to 4pm, the Mayor's Gallery of Stamford presents Moments and Memories, paintings inspired by Reflections of Motherhood by Cultural Alliance member Sarah King. Memory has become the driving force in Sarah's artwork since the onset of the pandemic. She came to ask herself if there's a difference between a memory and a moment, and whether she could paint both a moment and a memory. This led to finding more strands of the familiar theme in her work, motherhood. Monday, 6.30 to 8pm, the New Canaan Library celebrates Asian American Heritage Month with an exhibit and a panel discussion. Joined by the Fairfield County Chapter of the Organization of Chinese Americans, a national organization advocating for the rights of Asian Americans, and other community partners, the library will feature an exhibit on the 1982 killing of Vincent Chin, a racially motivated crime that galvanized a new civil rights movement. In addition to the exhibit, there'll be a panel discussion exploring the current climate of hate and what individuals and communities can do to reduce racial bias. The panel begins at 6.30 on May the 8th in the Bartlett Auditorium, followed by a reception featuring Asian foods on view through May 31st. Tuesday at 6, come and enjoy the New Canaan Museum and Historical Society's Artscapades Lecture, Forces of Artistic Change, Horace Pippin, Archibald John Motley Jr. and Aaron Douglas. In conjunction with the museum's current exhibit, this discussion explores the lives and works of these three African-American artists who worked during the early 20th century. Pippin, Motley and Douglas were part of the beginnings of an intellectual and cultural renaissance of African-American art, music, dance, fashion, literature, theatre and politics centered in Harlem that spanned the 1920s and 1930s. For details on these 
and hundreds more events, check FC Buzz events at culturalalliancefc.org. This was FC Buzz on WPKN Radio. This is Rick Patrone, host of The Jazz Sound, every Monday afternoon from 1 to 4. My shows are always filled with music, stories, current jazz events, and interesting conversations with jazz artists. So please join me here on WPKN in Bridgeport, 89.5 FM, and WPKN.org. And tell your friends to listen in.